Hey there, it's Jamie Scrimger here, and you're listening to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm a wife, a mom, a stepmom, a coach, a conversation opener, and a BS caller. Eight years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Look, don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But being a stepmom is, well, it's just complicated. If you know, you know. As a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I went to the internet for support. But I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support I was looking for. Raw, real, solution-focused conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard. But it's entirely possible to thrive amongst the tough stuff. Each week, I will bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to inspire you to live your own version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. Hi, guys. How's it going? <laughs> I never know how to start these episodes. I feel like I need to figure out like my thing that I do every single time other than hello, hello. But that's all I got for this one. Now, uh, this episode today, it is so good, such an important conversation, and I am just so grateful that I not only got to have this conversation, but that I get to share it with you guys. So today's guest is Bethany Webster. So she's the author of Discovering the Inner Mother, A Guide to Healing the Mother Wound and Claiming Your Personal Power. This is Bethany's second time on the show. So if you missed her first episode, I highly recommend listening to it. It is one of my favorites. And you may actually want to listen to it first, but actually, you know what? Maybe it doesn't matter. Either way, I've linked it in the show notes. Be sure to check it out. Now, Bethany's work focuses on the mother wound. So for those who aren't familiar, the mother wound is a set of internalized limiting beliefs and patterns that originate from the early dynamics with our mothers that cause problems in many areas of our adult lives, impacting how we see ourselves, one another, and our potential. By the way, I read that directly from the book, which I highly recommend as well. I actually have it linked on my favorites page on my website, and I've listened to the audiobook. I've referenced the actual physical copy. I cannot say enough great things about the book. It's really, really changed my life. Now, the mother-daughter relationship can be a complicated one. And I know that's definitely the case for me. In this conversation, Bethany and I dive into the mother-daughter relationship and how there can be shame and embarrassment around this relationship for women, especially around holidays and Mother's Day. And there's just a lot of grief involved. And we do. We dive into grief that can come from having a relationship with your mother that maybe doesn't meet your needs or isn't what you hoped it would be. And... We also talk about the characteristics of a toxic mother-daughter relationship, how the structure of society sets up this dynamic, and how our mother's unhealed inner child can play a role in how they show up for their daughter and how they show up for us. We talk about obligatory relationships. I always find that such hard word to say, but you get what I'm saying. Obligatory relationships, the need to set boundaries with family members, how there sometimes feels like this pressure from our parents to show up in a certain way because we quote unquote owe them because they have done all the things they have done for us. We, You know what? The conversation is heavy, especially for those who don't necessarily have a healthy or close relationship with their mothers. But I've said this before. I'll say it again. Bethany's work 
has transformed the way that I see my relationship with my mom, with other women in my life, the boundaries that I have in my life, and how I look back on my childhood and how I show up as a mom and a stepmom now. This is probably one of the most important conversations I've ever had. If it resonates, please share this episode with someone in your life who you think would benefit from this conversation. Can't wait for you to hear this. Let's dive in. Okay, guys, I've never done this before. The membership is officially on sale. From May 2nd until the 14th, in celebration of Mother's Day and to honor all of the kick-ass stepmoms in my world, you can join the exclusive stepmom community for 30% off. Just use the code MOTHERSDAY at checkout and you can get access to all things exclusive stepmom community for a lower monthly price. Now, if you aren't in the loop, members of the exclusive stepmom community get access to exclusive interviews with experts that I don't share anywhere else access to my office hours that happen twice a month, can connect with me and stepmoms from all over the world in a private forum, get access to private tell-all podcast episodes with me and my husband. Podcast episodes also include coaching calls with fellow stepmoms in the community. And in fact, you can apply for your own free coaching call as well. New this year, members also get access to monthly workshops on common stepfamily stressors. So this month's workshop was all about how to improve your relationship with your stepkids. Last month was all about how to disengage the right way. The month before was how to talk to your partner about stepfamily stress. Look, coaching and courses for stepmoms are a huge investment, but with the membership, you can get access to individualized support and coaching from me and resources that will help you tackle your stepfamily stressors head on for just 19 bucks a month. I have to tell you, I love connecting with members face-to-face in office hours When we do our Wine Wednesday webinars, you know, the energy of being able to connect with you guys is just the best. So yeah, the membership, it's on sale. Check it out, www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash membership. Use the code Mother's Day and I will see you on the other side. Bethany, welcome back to the podcast. This is the second interview now and I'm just... I couldn't be more excited to have this conversation. Thank you, Jamie. It's awesome to be back. Yeah. And you know, this is coming out right around Mother's Day. So uh, Mm -hmm. the mother wound is in full force for a lot of people around this time. It really is. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of why I wanted to bring you on because I, you know, Mother's Day can be such a beautiful time for a lot of people. And it can also be a very triggering and shame inducing and just a tricky time for people as well. Have you experienced that in your work with people around the mother wound? Yeah, absolutely. Mother's Day is really kind of the toughest time of year for people uh, because it brings up all those complex feelings. Yeah. Around that relationship with your mom. And, you know, I think we kind of touched on this when we chatted the first time about just the shame that can come from your relationship with your mom and what that can feel and look like, especially around the time when everyone's, you know, hearts and sparkles and healthy and my mom's my best friend posts are being kind of (laughs) thrown all over us um, in the media. Do you have any, just any thoughts for those who maybe are 
struggling with that with, with yeah, I guess it is shame, right? I think shame's the right word. Yeah, I think shame's a big one. But yeah, if you're feeling that, I just want everybody to know if you're experiencing any of those complicated feelings that it's totally normal to be feeling that. Our culture really, around this time especially, highlights that idealization of mothers, right? It's like all good, like they're angelic and they can do no wrong and they're saints. And, you know, there is some truth to that because our mothers are saddled with so much in this culture and they're underappreciated. Women are in general and mothers as well. So there's a little truth to it, but there's a big shadow as well that's unacknowledged. And I think that's part, the thing that can be really painful is as women, we feel this pressure around Mother's Day to just kind of have that story that everything's fine and there's nothing complicated here. Everything, you know, I'm grateful and I'm happy, you know, but underneath there's no safe place in our culture to put those complex feelings of my mother drives me crazy or my mother's been really unkind to me, you know? So there's a lot that goes into shadow between mothers and daughters um, in the culture. The culture really reinforces shame if we don't feel anything other than gratitude and sparkles and ponies, and, you know, bouquets and all of that. But for many women, we feel like we have to put on a kind of show. Like it feels like we can't really be authentic. So it's, yeah, it's a lot. Mother's Day is a lot. Yeah. Mother's Day is a lot. It can be such a production too, right? And yeah, like that pressure to show gratitude and acknowledge when I know for a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of, like a lot, even a lot of women in my close circle, there's not a lot of gratitude sometimes. <laughs> like sometimes you're just like, we don't, we don't have that relationship. But then mm-hmm. again, if you don't show that gratitude, it's almost like you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's this larger kind of dominant cultural na- narrative that the parents are always right. And as your parent ages, you are less and less entitled to question them, to be, you know, have a critical eye at what happened in the relationship. It's like, it becomes even more intense as our our mothers get older. And to be authentic, it's immediately, you know, there's a label that gets put on us as ungrateful, stirring up trouble, difficult, a bitch, you know, all those kind of usual uh, projections get put on. And, And then also people might say, oh, but she's your mother and she's done so much for you and she sacrificed so much for you. And we really don't have a narrative that honors the complexity of this relationship. And I always talk about that in the context of patriarchy, which is this cultural atmosphere that we've grown up in that says women are less than. So there's a kind of deprivation or scarcity consciousness for women, like this feeling like there's not enough for both of us. Like I can't be my real self and be seen as loving of my mother or if I perpetuate my mother's illusions, then I lose. Or if I'm authentic, it's not going to work. Like there's all these kind of black or white shadow feelings that have, I think, to have a lot to do with the feeling of scarcity. Like there's not enough for all of us to go around. Like one of us has to win. One of us has to be right. So there's a lot of like almost inter-nesting narratives that put a lot of pressure on the all female relationships, I think, but especially the mother-daughter relationship. It almost feels like a bind. Like, can mm-hmm. I be my real self and be loved? Or, you know, you say what you need and say what you want. And, you know, it even makes me think, 
you know, we've been talking about this in our family because two of my sisters, well, two of us, there's three girls, we're moms now, right? Yeah. So on Mother's Day, you know, we're, we're getting celebrated. <laughs> like, Hell yeah. It's my, it's my day. <laughs> like, like I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm busy being, being the mom, right? And yes. just – but then feeling like this obligation that you're supposed to show up in a certain way when maybe you don't want to. Maybe you know, that's maybe, not your authentic. Maybe that's truth. not your yeah. And it, it, I know it's definitely you know not my authentic truth. And you know that day is is for me and for my daughter and my husband. We we kind of do our thing that day. Mm-hmm. It brings me to a conversation I've been having a lot with with some of my life about those obligatory relationships and yeah. like what you were saying you know, she's your mom, you owe her, or that's your, your grandma or your grandpa, or your, you know, you, you should do this because, because you owe them because that's who they are, like how much they've given you or, or right. you, know, you just respect them because that's the role that they have. And, you know, we were laughing yesterday. I was like, I did not choose to be in this family. <laughs> I did not choose to be put here. Like yeah. you chose to have me. Right. So why do I owe you, you, do you know what I mean? Like this, this you're supposed to show up a certain way in the role that you have in your family when maybe that doesn't work for you. And I, and I do think there's a, ch- a change in a conversation now. I think that people are starting to kind of set boundaries with parents and yeah. extended family and saying, hey, you know, this isn't really working for our life anymore. But are you seeing that in your work too? Like, you know, just that shift? Oh, yeah, definitely. I'd say like in the past – five years, maybe even two years, especially like super recent people are the consciousness around adult children and their parents is, is definitely shifting. And I all have also seen that there's still a lot of shaming narrative. Like there was an article recently in the New York times that was about estrangement and it was still very much like throwing children under the bus. Like if you can't make it work, it's your, you know, that was kind of the narrative, but I think it's as more people heal the more we start to question these narratives that a lot of older generations have just accepted. Like I know my mother and my grandmother, you did not say no to your mother or to like a family event or a family tradition. Um, It was considered like a dramatic kind of implosion because families were very fragile. Like families that rely on roles are typically very fragile family systems. It's like the families that can handle more, that have more tolerance for individuality among the children are the more healthy kind of relationships where people can be more authentic and they can like work out conflict without it being an implosion. But for those more dysfunctional families, just one person stepping out of line can be like a massive drama, you know, and that's what it was like in my family as well. So, but I think things are moving in the right direction. I like to tell people that, you know, Honesty is a form of love. You know, when we're authentic about what's real and true for us, we're being loving and kind to others, even if it disappoints them. Mm-hmm. But the old, that's very different kind of value system and worldview, though. Um, whereas of older generations, many people are like, oh, you hide your truth. That is love. You suppress, you know, yeah. to like you elevate. Just take it. You just take it. You endure. And you said the word obligatory. And I think. With everything that's happening in the world, it's like there's this collective like pressure that's building on everybody that 
is really painful and stressful, but it's, I think it's also has an opportunity for us to really like, look at like, what is really essential here? What am I enduring that is actually harmful to me and isn't serving me or them? I think the world situation is helping us get more clarity on like, what is worth stressing over, you know, and where am I creating my own stress? And Mm -hmm. I think we're starting to see like conflict in the service of transformation as something valuable. Like when I show up as my authentic self and I'm honest, even though it's scary and uncomfortable, that's part of integrity. You know, that's part of, you know, being a a human, (laughs) you know, being a human of integrity. So I think what happens with adult children and older generations is there's a friction because there is a changing worldview and kind of lens on what is love? Is part of love pressuring myself to do things I don't want? And I think we're starting to see like there's a lot of ripple effects The more we pressure ourselves to participate in families or systems that are unhealthy or dysfunctional just to keep the peace or project an image, that is so hollow. That is so Mm -hmm. deeply hollow and painful. So yeah, things are definitely shifting and I think in the right direction. And it's just definitely not an, it's it's a very uncomfortable process (laughs) for many. Yeah, I hear that for sure. And, you know, I think there's a lot of grief too around that relationship, if you don't necessarily have that positive relationship within your family. And, you know, something that you said the last time we talked, and I want to bring it up because it was just so, it was so powerful, but just the acceptance piece, right? You know, sometimes we, Mm. you know, you talk a lot about, you know, our moms are also wounded, right? Like they, they have their own mother wounds. They have their own trauma. And Mm -hmm. obviously that affects how they show up for us. Sometimes we think that our parents have the capacity to show up in a certain way and we have this like hope that they're going to see what we need or see what we feel like the relationship could be or or all of that. Yeah. When it's not actually in their wheelhouse, they don't have that capacity maybe. Maybe they are just that wounded child walking around. Right. Yeah. That's that's something I think across the board, you know, those of us from dysfunctional families have that. It's like this hope because as kids, we needed some form of hope and control. And so this kind of hope that one day she'll get it, or I can explain it better someday, or I just got to keep trying or be more patient, or it's a powerful moment when you realize, whoa, she's actually giving me my be- her best. It's not going to get better. This is her best, what she's giving me. And my goal and kind of the work I do is to help women get there, you know, to see that there's no payoff in this kind of impossible dream of like, let me wear myself down in an effort to try to get this relationship to work, to get to a place where you're like, there's nothing I can do, right? Mm -hmm. I can't make this relationship with my mother work by myself. It really takes two people who are mutually invested in like reciprocity and understanding and empathy. A daughter can't do that alone. And all we can do is grieve that, wow, this is the best it's going to get. And I, I, I am powerless to change that. So it brings up a lot of grief. And grief is the most important thing, I think, honestly, on this journey of healing the mother wound or kind of working through intergenerational stuff is realizing the limits of our power, that we can't heal people, we can't save others, we can't single-handedly, by sheer force of will, improve the relationship by ourselves. Like We really have to come to terms with the limits of others. 
And I encourage people to see that as like a loving act to oneself and to others. Like by accepting where a person is, even if they're like dysfunctional and struggling and kind of self-sabotaging or allowing them and just accepting that they can't be different allows you to stop pressuring yourself to be different, you know, to try to mm-hmm. I- initiate or stimulate a new pattern. So it's it's really powerful to grieve, to really open up to the grief of it. And it takes a lot of people a long time to be ready because the fight for it to be different is something that helped us survive childhood. You know, it was like a defense mechanism. And there's a lot of self-sacrifice in that. Yeah. Like we can't understand this acceptance level when we're kids, even young people, because that would be too devastating for many of us. So it's a very sobering act of maturity to get to a place where you're like, wow, okay, she really can't be different. This isn't going to get better. I have to accept what what is. But there's a whole lot of freedom on the other side of that. Mm -hmm. Do you have any recommendations for that process of grief? Because, you know, I think this time of year, it's going to come up a lot, right? Like women looking at their mom and saying, wow, like I wish we had a different relationship or what, what could I have done differently? Or, you know, maybe I should just let it go or, mm-hmm. you know, maybe I should show up differently just, just to keep the peace so that we can, we can have that and recognizing that, you know, they're not going to change, right? Like chances are, unless they want to do the work, they're not going to change. And if they haven't done the work at this point, chances are they're probably not going to, right? Like if we're being completely honest. Yeah. I've seen it go two ways usually, because we don't know at the outset exactly what's going to happen. So sometimes part of it is just accepting that you're going to have a superficial relationship with your mom. Like that's going to be the best this isn't the best of situations. The relationship's going to be a little more superficial than you would want. Maybe you talk about the weather or your children or, you know, what's on TV tonight. I don't know. You just keep it peaceful and harmonious. You can't go very deep. And that's something to grieve. Like your mom might not be able to actually know you. She might not have a desire to know you for whatever reason. She might want to just keep it like that. The other way that it can happen is if your mom's on this end of the spectrum, that's more of the severe kind of toxic stuff happening there, like abuse or trauma-related dynamics, some women have to go no contact to, to – like the cost of remaining in the relationship is too great for their well-being, for their physical and emotional health. But we all fall somewhere on that spectrum. It's an amazing empowerment opportunity, though, for everyone, no matter where you fall on that spectrum – to honor yourself in the relationship in some way. What many women struggle with, and this is a very common theme, is I don't feel like I can be authentic with my mother at all. Like there's some degree of like, I have to put on a mask. I have to pretend. I have to like live in this like fictional kind of family narrative in order to keep the peace. And that becomes painful, especially for women who we want to heal, be empowered, and like live authentic embodied lives. It's difficult the more you heal to just play that role. So it's this kind of pain of like, oh, the relationship becomes something I have to endure. And then the pressure builds by the nature of your growth to be more authentic and be more real. So I always invite women to, number one, see if you can track the dynamic in the relationship. What is it that's actually driving you crazy? What is the the pattern? Because more often than not, 
there is like a cycle, some kind of pattern that happens repeatedly. If you can isolate that and clarify what that is, it's extremely powerful. Number one, because it's not like this mysterious thing. It's actually something that's very predictable that happens. So it can give you a sense of control. It can give you a sense of like, oh, I'm at choice here, right? And then the second thing I invite women to do is kind of think about, okay, this is the painful pattern. What's one empowered step you can take to disrupt that really toxic cycle? What would that look like? For some women, it might be like setting a boundary. For others, it might be like limiting time with your mother. For others, it could be like just speaking out more. So like rather than just sitting silently and placidly in agreement, starting to actually speak up, finding your voice. For some women, it's like, you know, my mom wants to talk to me every day. Well, then you just state your needs. You say, you know what? I can talk to you once a week or once a month or whatever it is. And that's that's it. You set start to set some terms that allow you to have a voice and a sense of authenticity inside of that relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. And when you talk about cycle, can you unpack that a little bit? Because you know, I'm thinking about relationships in my life. I'm like, oh yeah, I see the cycle. Mm-hmm. And I've always been pretty aware of that. But for someone who's kind of like, okay, what do you mean cycle? It's almost like you could think of it as like a trigger. Like what's the trigger? So for example, maybe it's something like you're having a chat with your mother. She's talking to you about, you know, the political situation or something. And then you, in the spirit of wanting to contribute to the conversation, you share something. Could be your opinion. It it could just be like an observation. But something about that triggers your mom and she's like you're always judgmental you're you're not listening to me or like you know and then you get feel slapped like oh god what did i do like i just upset her like and then you blame yourself so and you might go into a little spiral that's an example of a like a cycle that happens mm-hmm. like you're innocently involved with the person and then something kicks it off and there's a conflict so getting into the musculature of like precisely what is happening in those moments will make it seem like something you can actually have power to change or be a choice about. That's just one quick example. Another thing could be like having to do with your kids. So for example, your mother around the holidays, maybe she start, that's when she starts having really high demands or high expectations or being more sensitive. So you know around the holidays, something's going to, you know, it's not about you, but she's going to create some kind of drama. And so the earlier you can predict what's happening, the more power you have to change the course of that dynamic, if that makes sense. So it can look very different when I say cycle. What I really mean is just what's this predictable sequence of events that kind of trigger a conflict? Mm -hmm. I love that. And because I I talk a lot about that with stepmoms in uh, my coaching programs and the membership, because you know, if you can get out in front of the problem, right? Yes. You know, we find ourselves in these situations over and over and over again. And at some point there's a pattern. We need to be like, oh, okay. When yeah. A happens, then there's the B reaction. And how do we plan our reactions ahead of time to that reaction so that we don't have that same, we're not hijacked emotionally and we're not hurt because we we kind of expected it. Right. It's like, we can't change what we don't know is there. 
So mm-hmm. the more we have that clarity, the more power we have to, yeah, take empowered action, like you said, like be at choice. So it's it's very exciting. And I invite people to, <laughs> if people are listening, like, oh my God, this sounds scary. Like this sounds heavy. I like to try to invite people to see this as an adventure. So like, mm-hmm. this is your adventure in becoming more empowered, more sovereign and breaking cycles of dysfunction in your family line. The way that helped me was thinking of myself kind of like a like Sherlock Holmes or something, like just an observer. Like I would enter my family system and I would just be like, okay, what am I going to observe this time? Rather yeah. than going in like, oh my gosh, I'm going under a black cloud for six hours. This is going to, you know, I would be like, okay, what am I going to observe? So like you're observing the roles, you're observing the dynamics. You don't necessarily have to take any action And this could be a small step for someone to take. This Mother's Day is just like go into it with your like magnifying glass, you know, and just be curious, observe what's going on. And that's a powerful first step because you'll notice things that maybe you didn't notice before. Mm-hmm. Like observe how you feel, observe what triggers yeah. you. Even, you know, Facebook posts of what triggers you about that. Like, you know, where is it coming from? I remember one thing that really triggered me was, um, I don't know if you've heard of FTD. It's like this flower delivery service, but I got this mailer thing in the mail and it was for Mother's Day. It was like for bou- bouquets or whatever. And the bottom it said, because mother always knows best. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> and I was like, it was like their sales pitch for Mother's Day. It's like, because mother always owes best. And I thought, wow, what a what a punch to the gut. It's just kind of like, you know, your reality. It's time to pretend, everybody, you know? So, yeah. and I think as women too, we're just, we're often forced to bear the brunt of secrets and dysfunction and kind of over-function, over-caretake, people please. So if you're someone who's feeling a little rage as you're like, seeing the media, the commercials and the posts on social media, like honor that anger. That anger is part of your truth. That's kind of bubbling up, like seeing through that, you know, and really craving and hungering for truth and integrity, you know, rather than just, you know, women playing the, that role, which is so soul crushing, you know, and a lot of us have watched our moms do that to their detriment, right? Hide their feelings, and a lot of our mothers kind of live in that victim place where they they have legitimate rage, but they haven't done the inner work to process it. And I know in my situation, I felt like my mom definitely suppressed her own rage. I mean, so much. She was unconscious of so much. And then when it was my turn, it was almost like there was this time in our relationship when I was like 27, where I just felt this pressure like, now it's your turn to suppress your truth, just like I did. So when I spoke up more authentically, it was a total, it upended her entire worldview because I think it was like upending, you know, what she felt, like, how dare you speak up when I never got to do that? Like, who do you think you are? Yeah. Like, this is how it is. This is how it is. And like, I had to stuff my truth. Like, why aren't you doing that? That's your role. That's your next female in the family. The older, oldest woman has to do that. Mm-hmm. And I rebelled against that very lovingly even, but we, you know, we can't control our mother's reactions, their wounds, you know, a lot of that. Another thing that I really invite women to think about, especially if you have codependency with your mother is to start, because a lot of women have this kind of like, and I did too, like I have to take care of her. You don't want her feelings to be hurt. Right. But you know what? That's not respect. It's almost Mm -hmm. like infantilizing the mother. And women always gasp when I say this, but I remind people regularly, your mother is an adult. She is not a child. 
right? She has her own choices, her own like path, her own wounds, her own history. And a lot of that stuff preceded you, right? So it's very powerful to like step back and just be like, I'm not responsible for what her inner life, her turbulence, her chips on her shoulder, like whatever, that's kind of her stuff. That's not mine to carry. There's a very big assumption that we should carry. Because you owe them, right? Because you owe them because they're your mom. Right. I have a whole article yeah. on you don't owe your mother <laughs> for your oh life. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to be looking up that as I'll soon as I'll send you the done. link. <laughs> for sure. That's so good. I'm going to interrupt this episode really quickly to give you the inside scoop on brands and resources that I'm loving who also help support the show. I want to tell you about Stepmom Magazine. When I first became a stepmom, I always struggled to resonate with the support out there. There was just this huge double standard. Moms were encouraged to keep it real and stepmoms were judged for doing the same. And amongst the overwhelming amount of resources for moms, there really wasn't much for stepmoms. That resonated with me, at least. Except for Stepmom Magazine, that is. In fact, almost 10 years in, Stepmom Magazine is the only resource that I revisit time and time again. So Stepmom Magazine is a monthly online publication for any woman who's dating, living with, or married to someone with kids. The articles are written by all the leading stepfamily therapists and coaches, and the support is second to none. Stepmom Magazine has tons of information on topics like co-parenting and dealing with stepkids and dealing with the ex and disengaging and raising teenagers and being a full-time stepmom and having an ours baby. They cover it all. If you're a stepmom listening to this podcast, you need to check them out. And you can use the code JAMIE20 and you'll save 20% off anything and everything in their online store. So that's all subscriptions, back issues, and stepmom ebooks. This magazine is the longest standing, highly regarded stepmom resource for a reason. Go to stepmommagazine.com and use the code JAMIE20 and save 20%. I am so pumped about my newest partnership with Newcom. I have been actively trying to minimize stress and calm my mind and carve out time in my day for stillness and meditation, which as we know is easier said than done in this busy, stressful world that we're currently living in. So Newcom is patented neuroscience technology clinically proven to lower stress and improve sleep quality. It gives you the power and control to slow down and recharge when you need to by guiding you to your natural recovery state. Within minutes, Newcom guides your brain waves to frequencies for deep recovery and restoration. Amen. So here's how it works. You apply the Newcom biosignal processing disc to your inner left wrist. Then you connect headphones to your mobile device and select your Newcom journey in the mobile app. Cover your eyes with the Newcom light-blocking eye mask, get comfortable, and zen out. It is so freaking good. Newcom is the world's first and only patented technology clinically proven to lower stress and improve sleep quality without drugs. For more than 20 years, the company has been helping people like elite military operators, to cancer patients, to pilots, to professional athletes, to veterans, to regain control of their lives by helping them manage stress. It used to be a $6,000 class three medical device. Now it's easier to use and much more affordable through a subscription. So for as little as $167 per day, you can take control of stress, poor sleep, and own the day. 
Newcom has become one of my favorite rituals and is my new favorite form of self-care. I cannot tell you how good this feels. So you can learn more and get all the details at www.newcom.com and use the code JAMIE10OFF for 10% off. That's www.newcom.com and use the code JAMIE10 for 10% off. Now you have a post on your Instagram. It was about unpacking what toxic relationships with your mother may look like. Can you, cause I think there's gonna be people who are listening to this being like, okay, well, like, what do you mean? Like, is my relationship toxic? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like what, like, is this, does this apply to me? Yeah. What are some characteristics of a toxic mother-daughter relationship? Yeah. This came from a recent article that I wrote called why are mothers abusive to their daughters? And it's really about understanding our mother's inner child is involved in the relationship. So yeah, there's some toxic signs that might be showing up in your relationship. And I invite you to look at the whole article if this intrigues you. But some of the signs are things like, you know, feeling like you have to endure the relationship, that you have no voice, that you have to hold up that fictional story. Some more severe signs are, you know, if your mother likes to be unkind to you, if she takes a little pleasure on seeing you struggle. A common thing women say is when I'm doing really well, my mom seems to like demand a lot of my attention. That's a very subtle unconscious. A lot of this is unconscious, by the way. I'm not saying like there's like sadistic mothers everywhere doing this. You know, most of the time it's it's very unconscious, but it really depends on the amount of trauma that your mom has gone through that she hasn't worked through. Not that it's our job to take care of that. But the more you're aware of it, the more you know it's not about you. And that's what I really want people to know is the dynamics with your mom are not about you. They're about her unresolved stuff. So know that you don't have to feel shame about it, you know, that it's you're having conflict with your mom or stress or tension. So that's really that point of the article is to look at, yeah, that's where that's coming from. It's not to excuse it. It's not saying, oh, she had so much trauma, so I can't have a voice that would be horrible. That's where a lot of people usually go. It's more like my mom suffered and my feelings matter too. It's both. So in the toxic dynamic, it's like you don't exist. It's more like your mom is maybe she's more self-absorbed. Maybe she calls you only when she needs you. Maybe you feel like a cardboard cutout. Like she doesn't really know you, nor does she express interest in you. She assumes that she does know you, right? So these are some of the painful ways that we feel like objects, maybe, or dumping grounds. Maybe your mother just calls and dumps on you, negative stuff. You know, that's another example of just feeling like you're not a real person in the relationship, right? You're a role or you're an object to her. There could be mental illness in here too, but I tend not to focus too much on that. It's not as important if it's like a diagnosis or narcissism. You know, there could be features of all of those things inside this, but what's important is that you recognize it. Yeah, for sure. No, and I think it's so important too for all of our relationships to to just do kind of an inventory on how we feel after. Yes. How did I feel? Like, am I excited to go and have dinner? Am I excited for family events? Am I excited to pick up the phone when the phone rings? Like, how do I feel after that conversation, right? And just yes. checking in with yourself because 
there's so much that we feel like we have to do because we owe people things because that was the role that we play in, in the whole story and the, you know, the, the family system. But, you know, I know for me, and I'm definitely probably the one in my family who's kind of like, yeah, you know, this isn't really for me <laughs> anymore. Like I'm just kind of nice. done with those obligatory relationships. But I think we do need, we owe ourselves that, like that's love. That's love for yeah. ourselves, And you don't want to sacrifice yourself for the role you're supposed to play in that system. Exactly. Because it's going to make other people feel uncomfortable. And that's tough. That that can be really heavy, but you know, that's what I encourage everyone to do with every single one of the relationships is like how do I feel? Gut check it. Yeah, cuz our bodies are always telling us the truth. Even if we're mm-hmm. in a thought storm of like, oh my gosh, of shame or guilt, your body will tell you like I remember I had some strong physical reactions after being with my mother that were that lasted a long time. Like, and it can be a wide range for people. It could be like an adrenaline surge, or it could feel like you're just deflated, like all your energy just went out from you. I was talking with a woman the other day. She was just like, Yeah, my husband told me once that whenever I'm around my mother, I turn into this, I literally become smaller and kind of collapsed, and I look like a little girl. So sometimes our bodies are, are really revealing a lot of information. So when we have that magnifying glass, we can, yeah, you know, like look inside and say, what's happening inside me when I'm there? And that's part of our truth. A lot of us had to disable those signals because we grew up in dysfunctional families. So they might've been muted or even disabled. We might've like deafened ourselves to those signals because it was too painful to feel that contrast between what's my truth and what's the narrative of the family. So we had to actually disregard our physical symptoms in order to survive it. Yeah, for sure. It's and it's so interesting, right? Because when I I know for me, like looking back on my childhood and even, you know, the storyline that I had about my relationship with both of my parents throughout my 20s too, mm-hmm. compared to now. I feel like I'm in a completely different place in my life. I feel safer than I've ever felt. You know, I'm I'm in a great relationship with my husband. I feel safe. I have, you know, that stability and I know that someone's there for me kind of no matter what, which was something I I never really had growing up. Mm. When you have that safety and that stability and that perspective to look at your life from a different lens, it's interesting how that story completely changes when you look back, you're like, oh, actually, that wasn't amazing. That was toxic as hell. <laughs> like, yeah. That wasn't this like great father-daughter relationship. Like that was high functioning codependency. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> just just looking back, like that's yeah. not cute. That was fucked up. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's just so interesting mm-hmm. how that can happen when you get to that certain point. And it it does. I think the first step is that gut check. The gut check. Absolutely. Because it's easy to do. It might feel in the beginning like I'm not really picking up anything, but if you keep listening and if you have the intention to hear, it's like turning on a faucet that's been off for a while. It might take a while for it to, the info to flow, but it will. And it's trustworthy. Yeah, for sure. Now you say, um, there's a quote here is mother wound exists because there is not a safe place for mothers to process their rage about sacrifices society has placed on them. Can you unpack that for me? Yeah. So my theory about the mother wound is set inside of the cultural context, a sociocultural context, right? Of looking at the patriarchal atmosphere, as I mentioned earlier, which makes motherhood, frankly, like impossible for women. It's like a superhuman task and it's made harder because of 
you know, in the U.S., I know it's better in other places, but, you know, there's no maternal leave nationally. There's no, so there's all these like barriers to connecting with your child and feeling safe, you know, while you go through this incredible experience of becoming a mom and it just keeps continuing. So there's this rage that's, it's part of the larger kind of misogyny that the culture has towards women, that women are less than, we deserve less than, we should feel less than. So it's, it's like this, oppression that we feel. And then moms, it's even more compounded. And then when you're in that, I'm just thinking of like my grandmother and, you know, back in the day, women were literally trapped in their homes. Like there weren't many options. You could either be a nurse or a secretary. You know, there were a couple things, but generally most women were in their homes. This is like forties and fifties, I'm thinking. And earlier where you literally had to do it all. And you know, look great and have food on the table. And it's not that different now. Women still have to do the second shift and and all of that. So my point in like talking about the rage that women face is there's no real collective voice of women about their rage. It's building. It has been for many years and feminism has helped us so much, but there's still a lot to go. I, I like to say that the mother wound is like the final frontier of feminism. We have not Feminism has not dealt with the mother-daughter relationship, but it's really where I believe the real work is to be done. But for moms who haven't done a lot of work, inner work on themselves, um, especially in those older generations, the easiest place to express your aggression was towards your kids and even more towards your daughter. Um, A daughter is a very potent target for a woman who has a lot of rage about being a woman, about the oppression, both culturally and also trauma she might have experienced in her family. And the daughter is a really, she's a really powerful like projection screen. And also the culture tells women that like we should be kind of connected with our moms for life. Like Mm -hmm. with boys, it's different. Boys are kind of encouraged to like go off away from the mother and be with the men and with the father. But women are often always expected to kind of be in that mother world And so there's a kind of a codependency and a distorted, you know, patriarchy distorts this connection into one of like power over because there is so little power generally. So it's like the mother and daughter have a tension. And for many of them, it's unspoken. It's very shadowy. It's very subtle uh, or it could be overt. But um, yeah, that's kind of how the mother wound gets passed down is these patriarchal beliefs, whether they're some mothers just want to protect their daughters and be like, you know, don't be too big. Don't speak up. Put other people first. This is how you're going to get love in this world. That's mm-hmm. in the best situation. In the worst situation, it's like mothers who are unwell and unsupported can be actively harmful and abusive to their daughters as a way to relieve the stress of being a mom. So I ha- I just want to say I have compassion. I'm not sharing this like in the judgment to mothers at all. In fact, my hope is that my work helps elevate the support for women and mothers ultimately, because we have to look at these shadow places if we mm-hmm. really want to um, heal, you know, heal mm-hmm. as women in the culture and heal in our families and break the chain of so much of this unspoken pain between mothers and daughters. So yeah, daughters are a potent target. And it's just a tragedy. It, you know, when I talk about it, I even feel just, you know, a little grief about it because it's just such a sad situation that there's not enough support for moms. There is a true scarcity 
that exists, but it translates into kind of inner scarcity. Like I'm not enough. Why does she have enough? Or why should she have more than me? So a lot of daughters feel like if I'm really happy, if I become really successful, will I be leaving my mom behind? Like there's this Mm -hmm. real ambivalence around becoming a full, fulfilled woman, empowered, happy, like really thriving as a woman. There's this ambivalence women feel because it's like, how does this change my relationship with my mom? Because she didn't get this. She didn't have this. She deserved it. And a lot of women hold themselves back almost in a form of false solidarity. Like if I keep myself small, at least I won't leave her. Like I don't want to abandon her. You can almost hear the language is very codependent, right? But is, there is this sense, like, my mom's alone. Yeah, my poor mom. My poor mom. Yeah. And, you know, I think as generation generation after generation, like, you know, women are getting more of a voice. Like, it's evolving. They are. So, you know, a mom, Thank say, God. you know, someone in my <laughs> mom's generation, you know, didn't maybe have the same freedoms and opportunities and ability to be assertive and, you know, yep. speak your truth than, you know, I do. And my siblings do. So for us, it could be really hard for her to see that change and the opportunities that we have as a result of that. She can experience that as you abandoning her. Right. Or they or them not even seeing how hard it is or like how hard it was for me and like what I went through for them. And, you know, like almost like you owe me. Yeah. You owe me. So I think, you know, yeah, I definitely think that's so interesting. And just going through your work for me personally has been so eye-opening because a lot of the feelings that I didn't know that I had, they were normalized, right? Because you you do, you know, and going back to, you know, the Mother's Day thing and you're looking at like everyone else's mother-daughter relationship and you're like, what was wrong with me? Like, why didn't I get that? Or, you know, why couldn't someone show up for me that way? But so many are feeling that way, right? Because everyone's just putting on this fake show. And I'm not saying it's fake for everyone. There's a lot of really right. amazing mother-daughter relationships. Yeah. But there is a lot of self-sacrifice and, and abandonment going on in our relationships with our families just because we feel like that's how we're supposed to show up. And that's what is the right thing to do to keep people happy. Right. So in being authentic and not being complicit with those patterns – requires a lot of courage and getting really good at seeing the patterns, not allowing yourself to be complicit in that false belief in a payoff. Like there's some kind of payoff in pretending. We start to see there's no payoff. So we become more courageous in being more authentic, more real, saying no when we want to, saying yes only when we want to, not when we feel we should. My hope is someday that, you know, you put it powerfully when you said like, my mom might feel it. I owe her that that debt, that sense of debt being put on the daughter's head, which many daughters sacrifice themselves on the altar of their mother's pain. Like, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve good things because she didn't have it. I think as more women realize the work that has to be done internally and do that work, and also that society and culture supports women and, and mothers, that that debt you know, that sense of deprivation will dissolve over time. And that it is possible to have, you know, going back to that spectrum, right? You know, maybe your relationship is so toxic that you're like, you know what, this is just not a roller coaster I'm going to stay on. This is not working. This is not right for me. Or, you know, maybe it is about setting some of those boundaries and saying, yeah, you know, I – 
I'll, maybe you pick up the phone one out of every three times, or you know, you call back later, or you aren't around for a certain holiday, or like just kind of start slowly. Yeah. Start, yeah, starting small. So if you're if you're just feeling like it's this obligatory relationship. Check in with yourself and, and know that that's okay to kind of break some patterns and some traditions because this just this time has been so eye opening in so many different ways. But the mm. one thing that I keep coming back to is like, tomorrow owes us nothing. Whoever thought that we wouldn't be able to go out for dinner or yeah, that you couldn't seriously. see your family and friends or that, you know, things would just be shut down? Like mm-hmm. it was just this big eye-opener that, you know, your time is precious and you don't know what's going to happen. So I hope that that gives people permission to set those boundaries and to to say no when they want to say no or to redefine relationships that aren't working for them because it is temporary discomfort. It is uncomfortable. Um, sometimes you feel like the bad guy. Sometimes you, you know, feel like you're disappointing people. But the payoff in the end in that piece for your time and for your space and your mental health, it's invaluable. Yeah, that's the most precious thing right there is your energy, your value, your life, your time. And the more you can lean into that and and make those uncomfortable decisions, like you said, it's temporary. That fear goes away. All feelings are temporary. They cannot hurt you. They're just energy that passes through your body because it reminds on some level your amygdala is like, this was scary back in the day. This is going to be really scary again. But actually, and our amygdala needs more data that now we're not children and mm-hmm. we are adults. So we have more freedom. And so it's powerful to start to do new behaviors, make new choices. And this is the only way, honestly, the only way out is through. And it is so worth it. Like you said, what you get is yourself, your integrity. And, and trust that whatever you do that's right for you is also going to be right for others in some way. You know, let the chips fall. That's a practice that I invite people to do too. Like start practicing, let the chips fall. Nothing dangerous, but just emotionally. And in some way, if you feel compelled to like overfunction or overtake care of people, practice just stating your truth, whatever, and then just like step back and sit with that discomfort and see what happens. It can be really empowering to see, oh, things work out. People are fine. You know, that was just a kind of fiction I made up that something bad was going to happen if I decided not to go to this event or if I said no, or we realized we can survive all of it. Mm -hmm. Changing patterns. It's actually super powerful. You know, to wrap this up, I I do want to kind of give a little advice, I guess, to people who are maybe struggling with Mother's Day coming up and maybe they're feeling, maybe some of this really resonated with them. Maybe they're feeling kind of uneasy or, or just not sure about the day, but I think we need to, you know, be proactive again about this day. Kind of what we were talking about is recognizing those patterns and take control. So, you know, this comes out before Mother's Day. So, like, what do you want that day to look like for you? Like, how are you going to make it a positive experience for you? Like, whether it's like minimizing your exposure online to things that are maybe are bringing up some grief. Maybe it's journaling that day. Maybe it's, I don't know, do you have any things to (laughs) add into that to help people kind of go through this tricky time? I do. And I'm actually teaching a free training next week. That's a whole week leading up to Mother's Day. And if you'd like to participate, it's totally free. You can you can join. But it's seven lessons over seven days of how to, it's basically heal your inner child in order to step into your sovereignty and power. That's what the topic is. And we're going to be sharing journal prompts and mantras and exercises. But a lot of it is around 
what is Mother's Day normally like for you? What stresses you out? Get some clarity on that. Like, what do you hate about it? And then ask yourself, what, clear the decks and just think for a second, like, if I could do this day any way I wanted, what would that be like? And what would that feel like? And then I say, take one step to get it in that direction, whatever that is. So maybe like you said, Jamie, maybe it's just like a five or 10 minute call to your mother instead of an hour brunch. Or maybe it's just saying, you know, rescheduling or just declining. It could be different for every woman, but take some step where you start to carve out more of your authentic need and honor that. So it becomes more about like an honoring yourself. And then the other thing I suggest is connecting with your inner child. Because really what's driving a lot of our tension and uncomfortable feelings about this is the little girl inside of us who feels scared, a lot of the old fears from the past. So if we can like nurture that little girl, I invite you to get a picture of yourself as a little girl and be with that picture at least for a little bit during Mother's Day. And just feel, I like to talk about filling the mother gap. All of us have a mother gap. We didn't get quite enough of as kids for whatever reason. And we can start to give that to the little girl inside of us. And it could be just sitting with grief. You know, if you feel grief on Mother's Day, like it's a really tough day. I feel all this unprocessed stuff about my mom. Maybe just sitting with that picture of yourself and just allowing yourself to cry, allowing yourself to be with those feelings. And I promise you that a lot of people are afraid of grief, like, oh, it's so heavy and I don't know, I can't control it. But the more you kind of just take little bits of being with that pain, it actually refreshes you, actually. You know, it's like after you sit with your true feelings, you can actually feel refreshed and energized later. It doesn't have to be like this heavy thing, like I have to process all my grief at once. It's more like just taking just pockets of time to just be with your, with your truth and with your grief. Mm-hmm. You know, whether, and it could be anger too, like write out a bunch of, you know, if these Mother's Day things are pissing you off, get your journal out on a fresh sheet and just write uncensored everything that wants to come out. Like give yourself space to be you. I love that. I love to just rip. <laughs> to right? rip in my journal. Like <laughs> it's so therapeutic. And, you know, I, I love what you're saying is, you know, the, the inner child work. And, for the longest time, I would hear people say inner child work, and it's like, oh, that is about the corniest thing I've ever heard. When I read your book <laughs> for, you know, I've gone through your book a couple times now, but when I, you know, I read your book and just like going back and seeing how a lot of your insecurities and a lot of your emotions and a lot of the things that come up for you as an adult are based on the unmet needs of your inner child, like literally. She's the key. (laughs) Like, and and it is so crazy how doing that work really does open up so much growth as an adult and dealing with the mother wound and dealing relationships with your parents and just like understanding why you're triggered the way that you are. Like, I can't, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah. It explains so much. That's what's so exciting to me about it. It's like, this isn't a mystery. Like we don't have to be in this fog in our adult life. Like, why do I have all these patterns happening? It's like, we can actually figure out what it is and work with it. I like to say that healing the mother wound is like stepping outside of the invisible fence. Like the mother wound's like this invisible fence. We don't know what's there, but we're staying in these certain behaviors and thoughts. But that bond, like we can't really change unless we feel safe, honestly. So it's like we need to bond with that little girl who's like a loving, a living energy inside of us pulling the strings, p- hitting the brakes at the most inopportune times, right? She's all about safety. So the more we can help ourselves feel safe, emotionally safe on a regular basis, like affirming our truth, being with our pain, 
making time for fun and play, you know, the whole, all of it, the more we can step outside that invisible fence and into like more of the really thriving as an individual, a sovereign woman who lives by her own truth. That's not living, you know, just feeling oppressed by systems and family traditions that aren't true. We have a choice. We can step outside that. I feel personally so glad to be alive right now when a lot of this awakening is happening around this kind of work. And thank yeah. you, Jamie, for all the work you're doing, just putting you know this great content out there and helping people to become more conscious and aware and have the more tools to do exactly that, step outside of it. Well, thank you. You know, I'm, I'm all, I made a, a commitment when I was really struggling as a stepmom that I was going to dive in and do the work and just like do whatever I could to just like live a kick-ass life, right? And to like thrive mm-hmm. amongst all the tough stuff and the trauma and, you know, struggles that come with just blended family life, all the things. And so I love that I've had the opportunity to connect with so many people like you and, you know, have access to these resources and then I can share them because, They've just been just life-changing. So I'm so grateful for you and for your book. And I'm going to link the workshop that you've got going on. So if everyone wants to, you know, dive into this a little bit more, it can seem a little can seem a little intense, but I swear to you guys, like this is such a powerful process and you won't be the same in in all the best ways. Mm, I love that. Yeah. Thank you, Jamie. Yeah, this free training is really easy. It's totally free and it's bite-sized daily. I wanted to reduce overwhelm. So if you're feeling intrigued, feel free to join. We'd love to have you. Awesome. And we will link it for you. Thank you so much, Bethany. I will link all of your uh, social website, all the things so people can come check you out. And uh, yeah, this has been great. Thank you, Jamie. It's been so much fun. I appreciate you having me. That's it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, and if the podcast has been resonating with you, I would be forever grateful if you would head on over to iTunes and give the show a rating and a review. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to this episode, be sure to send it their way. Now, if you are craving more, head to my website, jamiescrimger.com. There are lots of blog posts and podcast episodes and resources available for you over there. And if you really want to dive in, I do take on a limited number of coaching clients every month. So you can book one call or work with me for three months. Either way, we will create an individualized plan for your unique stepfamily situation. Remember, sitting around biatching about how hard being a stepmom is won't make being a stepmom any easier. If you want change in your life, it has to start with you. Chat with you next week.